Good morning, everybody. My name is Joelle. If you would please stand for the gospel reading. Today's scripture is out of Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Lord Jesus. We need you to come and speak this morning as we encounter um, you and encounter things that we, um, that trouble us and baffle us a little bit. We need you to come and speak to us. We don't want to read about encounters with you. We want to encounter you. And we can't make that happen. So, Spirit, come in this place. Open us up. Slay us. Resurrect us. Fill us with faith, hope, and love. And prepare us for your kingdom that is coming the resurrection and the age to come. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus, who together with the Father and the Spirit rule and reign the universe, one God now and forever. Amen. 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 You guys can be seated. Happy sixth day of Christmas, by the way. It is the sixth day of Yes, give it up for the 12 days of Christmas. That's right. Because God became a human being. That is not, you need more than one day to celebrate that. And so the church historic has taken 12 days and made Christmas into a small little season. 12 days of Christmas, we are in the sixth day of Christmas, and it is worth celebrating that God has come among us to show us what he is like. Can I get an amen? Amen. However... This text today makes us kind of scratch our heads just a little bit. Um, This text, uh, if you have a paper Bible, um, we just heard it read, Matthew 15. This text today, um, we're kind of uh, winding up our series uh, on encountering Jesus this week and next week. Um, And I decided to just go with a really easy story this week uh, to talk about. So it's just like a softball sort of story, easy to talk about there. No, uh, you got, hopefully, um, hopefully this is going to be helpful um, because this, um, this story is, it's a bit of a, a troubling story. It surprises us. It, um, it stretches us. It, um, it throws us um, off balance just a little bit. Um, it, it, we weren't expecting it. It makes us struggle with Jesus just a little bit. Um, there's certainly no way that this story if, um, was made up 
by anybody in the early church. Um, you would, this isn't the kind of story that you make up. Um, this is a story handed down, preserved, like all of the, uh, like all of the gospel writings. It's actually a story about Jesus. Um, it's just the story that makes us wrestle with him a bit, which is to say it's a terrific story, right? If we just get patted on the head just a little bit, we're like, okay, that was nice, but this story stretches us and challenges us, and it's really good. Uh, Jesus, in this passage, has um, he's he's he and his disciples have gone into non-Jewish territory is where where they are. He's um it says in verse 21, he's um right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, if you can visualize that, the the very um eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. He's between the the cities of Tyre and Sidon is what it says in verse 21, and this woman uh, approaches him, um begging him to heal her daughter. She's heard about Jesus. His reputation preceded him. She's heard about Jesus. He's spreading the kingdom of God. His love, his mercy, his kindness, his healing, his love that's just like bringing everything to life around him. And she has sought Jesus for help. Of course she has. That's what everybody does. This is a pretty typical story in that way. It's a pretty standard day in the life of Jesus. Your daughter has a demon? Okay, fine. She's suffering. Oh, I'm sorry. She's suffering terribly. Let's go heal her. That's, Jesus doesn't even have to go to her house. Just a couple of chapters before this, in um, Matthew chapter 8, there was a centurion. He's, one of, he's like a leader of the occupying force in Judea. He's like a Roman. He's a bad guy. And he uh, has this servant that uh, Jesus he finds out about, and Jesus doesn't even have to go to the house to heal this servant. He just says, go, your servant is healed. Like, Jesus doesn't even have to go anywhere. This feels like it would be, it's the typical sort of story of people seeking Jesus, asking Jesus for help, and it seems like the most common sense answer would, would take place here. Okay, I'll either go or I don't even have to go. Your daughter's healed. It's a pretty typical story until it turns out not to be. (laughs) This woman is like crying out to Jesus, begging Jesus, my, who's got children in the room, my daughter, my, like, I'll take whatever they've got. My daughter, I have two daughters. My daughter has a demon. Did did you hear me, Jesus? My daughter has a demon. And Jesus and his disciples are not stopping. They just keep walking. Verse 23, right here. Uh, Jesus did not answer a word. And so this woman just keeps chasing. She keeps pursuing. She keeps calling after Jesus. I mean, this woman must be hysterical at this point because verse 23, the disciples get to the point where they're saying like, can we please just send this woman away? Like my ear, like this is shrieking. This is bothering me. Good grief. She just keeps calling after us, Jesus. How long does somebody have to be calling after Jesus for everyone to be like, can we just get rid of her? This is, uh, by, and by the, the, 
I can feel it in the room. Yeah, like this is not the story that you see every day. This is not the encounter with Jesus that we typically think of. This woman is crying out for help and Jesus and the 12 just keep walking. This hysterical woman, she just wants her daughter to be healed and the great teacher of loving everyone. That's the Sermon on the Mount, just like chapters before in Matthew chapter uh, five. Six and seven, the, the great teacher of loving everyone, even your enemies, it says. Um, he just keeps on walking. She's crying out to the son of David, have mercy on me. And it would seem like the son of David has no mercy for her. The forces of evil like are attacking this woman's family and the silence from Jesus is just deafening. What were you going to say? I said um, that you said that we had to love our enemies. So hard. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus is the one inviting us to, in, to love even our enemies, and it's so hard. Can't do it without Jesus. That's right. And so the question is, like, why is... Everyone thinks about these Canaanites, like the Gospel Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman. That's, that's actually some of the rub of the story. This woman is what everyone thinks of as an enemy of Israel. Matthew sets that stage because this is, it, she's just a local woman. She's from like Tyre and, and Sidon is what it says. It's in the, the region called Phoenicia is what it's called. Um, they're non-Jewish territory again. Uh, Mark, when he tells the story, he calls her a Syro-Phoenician woman, is what he calls her in the, in the region of like Syria, Phoenicia. Um, Matthew, it's really intentional. Matthew calls her a Canaanite. He calls her a Canaanite. Um, this was the region, to be sure, where the Canaanites used to live. They, they used to live there, like, but there are no Canaanites living in the first century. It would be like calling somebody from um, Iraq today a Babylonian, or like calling somebody from southern Mexico an Aztec. Like, you realize that the Aztecs aren't around anymore, right? Uh, Matthew's doing something like really intentional when he calls her a Canaanite. He's drawing out exactly, exactly this. Like, this is an enemy of God. This is an enemy of God's kingdom. This is an enemy of everything that the kingdom stands for. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the, the Hebrew scriptures, a Canaanite is the enemy of Israel par excellence. That's what the Canaanites are. Um, they are outsiders um, that are so toxic that um, they're so despicable. They are so opposed to God, according to like the, the story of the Old Testament, that Moses and Joshua, these early leaders, like in their story, just kill them. Just kill the Canaanites. Just get rid of them. They are so awful the, because the Canaanites aren't just enemies of Israel. They are enemies according to the tradition, of God, the enemies of God. That's how wicked and how bad they are. And that's what Matthew, this gospel writer, intentionally 
calls this woman. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, this woman, whether it's where she's from, or how she lives, or what she believes, or what she looks like, whatever, from the perspective of good, first century, moral, up to church going, synagogue going, uh, first century Jews, this woman embodies everything opposed to the kingdom of God. She is a Canaanite. And that's why the disciples, that explains why the disciples just keep on walking. They just keep on walking. They want to get rid of her, get rid of her. And we might understand bigotry uh, from the disciples, right? We might understand bigotry from the disciples because they're, they're, they're mostly like us. They're a bunch of idiots. They're a bunch of hard-hearted idiots, but following Jesus. <laughs> Can I get an amen? That's, that's all of us. Um, but what about Jesus? That's the really troubling thing about this story. Jesus, the one who calls us to love our enemies. What is Jesus doing here? His silence, his silence is deafening. Why does Jesus just keep walking? Why does Jesus just keep silent? What does the silence from Jesus mean? What does the silence from Jesus mean? What's he doing here? How are we to understand this? Has anyone ever felt like God is silent? Has anyone, I mean, you don't have to, the rest of you are liars. <laughs> uh, is his silence, what's, what's going on with his silence? Is he just quietly agreeing with his disciples? Is he just, with his silence, is he just saying, yeah, I, I agree, let's get rid of her. Is Jesus being a bigot? is the question before us, I suppose. Is Jesus just going along with the racial and religious prejudices of the day, the notion that the Gentiles, the nations, those non-Jewish people are dogs, is the frequent term called, it's a disparaging term. <laughs> Most of the time when Jews are talk, when, when Jews would use it of non-Jewish people, the Gentiles are dogs, and they, it was a racial prejudice of the day that the, the nations, are, it wasn't all of the Jewish people of the, of the day, but it was widespread that, that non-Jewish people are less worthy of God's love and mercy and healing. This is a rubber meets the road moment for the Sermon on the Mount, right? <laughs> yeah, like, is, is, is Jesus going to love his enemies and have mercy on them, or is he going to um, send her away? Is what does Jesus think about the people that everyone else thinks are God's enemies? Are there people, Canaanites, that we don't have to love? Is the question. Uh, are there people to whom we don't have to extend mercy? I know I said, you know, love your enemies. I know I said extend mercy, but that doesn't really apply to them. Whoever your them is. Because what they believe, what they've done, how they act, their color, their culture, just ignore them. Don't, don't engage them. Don't love them. But Jesus breaks the silence. We're all wondering, what's his silence mean? And then he breaks the silence in verse 26. And he almost seems to be thinking out loud. Um, I, I mean, he's not asking the disciples for advice. <laughs> he says, um, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That's what he says. 
What a perplexing thing to say. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It's like he's thinking out loud. It's not the, it's not the no, woman, go away, that his disciples wanted to hear. But it's also not the um, yes, my child, your daughter is healed, that this woman wanted to he- hear. It's just kind of like we're just stuck in limbo here. Jesus um, I think in this moment he's pushing back against the notion. I think he's kind of pondering and he's pushing back against the notion that he's just like this magical mechanic that's like here to fix every bit of the world that we are troubled by. Have you guys seen Wreck-It Ralph? You guys seen, there's this character in Wreck-It Ralph called Fix-It Felix and he's like this little uh, Mario kind of guy with a hammer and he just like fixes everything. It's like a magical, like your plumbing is busted and he like comes over and it's like magically fixed. You're sick, he comes over and you're magically well. And Jesus, um, Jesus seems to be pushing back and saying like I'm not Fix-It Felix. That's not, that's not what I'm here to do. Jesus is doing a lot of healing. He's showing us what God's kingdom looks like when God rules and reigns the universe. Dead or raised, blind or healed, deaf can hear, you are forgiven. But he's also here for other purposes, he seems to be saying. Jesus' mission to the world, right here in this cryptic statement, Jesus' mission to the world, it looks different than we expect. Uh, He's processing the fact that his primary mission in the world, his his primary task, Jesus' task is not to solve every problem. It's not to heal, make sure that I heal every sick person. Otherwise, he would have just like set up a camp and like had all the world come to, it's not to cast out every demon. To be sure, he will do this one day, is the hope of the church. But right now, right here in the first century, Jesus is pursuing a particular group of people, is what he's saying. My task in the world, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel is what he says. All of the gospel writers, especially Matthew, want us to recognize that Jesus, his primary task when he came, was he was concerned with calling the people of God back to God. (laughs) You people who are supposed to be representing God in the world, come back to God. (laughs) You guys are lost. You're wandering. You are completely disoriented. You're upside down. Will you please come back to Jesus isn't. He's not just one person trying to immediately heal every bit of the world, he seems to be saying. He has a bigger picture in mind. The lost sheep of Israel. The lost sheep of Israel. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets and to bring Israel back to what it was meant to be. I'm here, Jesus seems to be thinking about, I'm here to make an entire group of people who will be God's people in the world. I'm not a doctor come to heal the world. I'm a doctor come to make an entire nation of doctors who will bless the world. The lost sheep of Israel, he's, he seems to be thinking about right here. That's central to the gospel, by the way. 
if you didn't know, is the fact that God is pursuing the people who say that they love him, but like actually have wandered away from him. God continues, it's good news, God continues to pursue and to chase and to call even the people who call, like want nothing to do with him, who have shut him out, who think that they are close to him, but are actually like completely blaspheming and carrying his name through the mud. Those are the people that God's like, I'm here for you. I keep chasing you. The the story of Jesus is God dying for the people who shut him out. That's like the lost sheep of Israel are the people who kill him. Together, they state and church band together and execute God himself. That's what Jesus is like. That's what God is like. He loves to the point of death, even death on a cross. God's the one who saves the world and everyone who will let him. All of this is is great and big and it seems to be like on Jesus' mind in this one little statement about like the lost sheep of Israel. But like we're actually confronted, like all of those things are grand and lofty and wonderful. Like seriously, they're really good news. But like what about this Canaanite woman? was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. But suddenly, like, this desperate Canaanite woman, like, by this time, she, I, I just visualize her in verse, um, verse 25. It's like she's, I picture her, like, on her knees at this point in front of Jesus. Like, her voice is hoarse. And she's, like, covered in sweat because she's been chasing him and yelling after him and, like, fighting the crowd and trying to push back the disciples who are keeping him from, help me. All of, like, you said to the lost sheep of Israel, help me, help my daughter. She has a demon. Like the kingdom of darkness is after her, has got her. And if we thought Jesus' silence, and then that first statement about like the lost sheep of Israel was difficult to interpret, his statement right here is like, this is the one that like kicks us in the teeth, isn't it? He says, verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, is what he says to her. It's a troubling story. It's it's a difficult story. If anyone told you that reading the Bible is always easy, uh, diving into the original Greek doesn't really help very much right here. Sure, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't use wild dog terminology in Greek that most Jews would use. He uses like house pet kind of dog. That's interesting. That's the word he uses here. Um, That might give us some sort of clue about, but it's not really helpful. He still calls her a dog. Like that's that's not word studies on the Greek and original context and all of this. They don't really help. The one thing I I was thinking, the, the one thing that would help would be if we could see Jesus's facial expression here. That would be the thing to, that we, if we could look at his body language right here, that would be the thing that would help illuminate this passage the most. Jesus' body language would help, wouldn't it? Because Jesus is either being a bigot or he's being brilliant right here. Like he's either saying something incredibly prejudiced or he's saying something incredibly playful. Seriously. He's either belittling this woman or he's beckoning this woman. 
somehow. Like, those are, that, that truly is. It, the question is, is Jesus joining the popular prejudice of the day that non-Jews are less worthy of God's love and mercy? Is he saying, well, I'm here to take care of the true children of God, but this woman and her daughter are just dogs doomed to suffer and starve. It just wouldn't be right. Or is there like some sort of mischief in Jesus' eyes right here? Is there like a twinkle in his eyes, mischief in his voice, and he says, oh my goodness, it just wouldn't be right to take the bread (laughs) and throw, yeah, right? Right? It wouldn't be right, Peter. It wouldn't be right, would it, to throw the bread to the dogs, would it? Oh my goodness, this wouldn't be right at all. And all the while, he just can't wait to show the lost sheep of Israel what it looks like to be God. What, this, what their God looks like. I'm going to throw the bread to the wolves, to the dogs, to the people you count as enemies. It wouldn't be right. Just watch what I'm going to do. Um, they need, it seems like he, he could be joining prejudice or he could be saying, I, they need to see me showing mercy, granting love to someone they hate, Canaanite. The lost sheep of Israel need to see me healing the people that they count as wolves. That is the best thing I could do for the lost sheep of Israel. Am I, I'm not making this up at this point, am I? You can read the story either way, right? There's no note in the margin telling you which way is the right way to read it. Am I right? Yeah. There, there, you can understand it either way. It's kind of left up to us. Like, are Jesus' arms crossed and just shaking his head? Or is Jesus rubbing his chin and like glancing at his disciples? Is Jesus frowning or is Jesus smiling? Is Jesus frowning or is Jesus smiling? Is Jesus saying it wouldn't be right? Or is Jesus saying it wouldn't be right? Just wouldn't be right, oh my goodness. (laughs) You kind of have to make a choice reading, like this passage, like this is a really good passage because you, like you may think that my reading of it is totally wrong, but like you have to make a choice on how to read this passage. You have to, to make a leap. You have to choose how you're gonna understand the story. Does this terrible story that seems so awful on the surface, does it cancel out everything that we know about Jesus? Or will everything that we know about Jesus help us understand this story? This is actually, the reason why we look at this story is not just for some biblical trivia pursuit. This is actually the dilemma, the opportunity. This is actually the very shape of our lives every day that we are alive. Sometimes we feel like this woman, don't we? 
We are like pursuing God. We're chasing after God. We are calling out to God in a dozen different ways. And we feel like we are being shut out by God. We feel like even the church sometimes, those around Jesus are shutting us out. That thing in our lives just isn't getting fixed. That situation just isn't improving the healing just isn't coming in the way that we want. And there's no note in the margin of our lives telling us how to interpret it all, right? There's no notes in the margin of scripture right here. There's no notes in the margin of our lives. We have a choice. We have a choice. We have a choice on how to interpret the big story of the world and the stories of our lives. We have. Whether you realize it or not, you are daily making a choice on how to interpret it. You're already making that leap. And the question this morning is, like, what leap are you making? What's the leap you're making? There's a degree to which we have to choose how to read the story, not just here, but like of our lives. Do we believe that God is frowning in your life, in those things, that thing that's coming to mind? Do you believe that God is just saying no to the thing you need most, just cross like this? Do we believe that the terrible circumstances of our lives, whatever they may be, whatever that season is, whatever that thing that's happened, that just like, do they cancel out everything that we know about God through Jesus? Or, Will everything that we know about God in Jesus help us trust in the midst of those circumstances, in the midst of it? Do we believe that despite the way things appear, despite the way we feel shut out right now, despite the way that things don't seem to be changing, we don't seem to be getting the answer that we want right now, God is smiling. God is smiling. God is actually at work, even though you haven't seen it yet. Before God acts in the world, God is often acting in us. He's often at work in in us. God's responses to us in our lives are often beckoning us. They're calling something out of us, changing us. And they're calling us to keep chasing, keep pursuing, keep calling. We could say it this way, um, God's hidden smile is an invitation to deeper relationship with him, is actually the way to think about it. She can't see the smile of Jesus yet, and yet she's like engaging in the most intimate, deep, kind of trusting relationship with Jesus. She's sassing him back. Is the kind, that's the kind of relationship that's being built between Jesus and this woman. Jesus is being brilliant right now because he's inviting this woman to participate in a relationship with him, even a relationship willing to push back because she trusts that the son of David is as good as she has heard about in spite of everything that I see right now I'm going to trust you. I'm going to keep pursuing you, Jesus. That's exactly what she does. She is like, she has to make a choice how she's going to interpret her life, how she's going to understand Jesus. Other people standing around might have only heard the surface of Jesus' words. They might have only heard no 
is what they might have heard. But she trusts Jesus. She trusts Jesus. He's good. He's good. He's healing. He is king beneath it all. I think Jesus is saying yes. I'm keeping pursuing you because Jesus is saying yes to me. So she keeps chasing, pursuing, calling out. You can tell by the way she responds. Her response is one of the best clues we have to understanding Jesus right here because she uh, responds with a playful answer. And so I think she heard the playfulness in Jesus' voice. She says, uh, verse 27, she says, Oh, yes, it is, Lord, because even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall down on the floor. It's a, like, it's a playful, sassy, moxie-filled sort of response, and Jesus loves it. Jesus, like, eats it up. Jesus says, he, what does he call it? He calls it, verse 28, great faith is what he calls it. We could say it this way, um, great faith means clinging to God's goodness in stretches of his silence. My friends, cling to what you know about God and Jesus, even when it's silent, even when it's hard. That is, cling to Jesus even when you can't see his smile yet. It's coming. It's coming. Cling to him. This woman trusts that Jesus is secretly smiling even when she feels shut out by him. I don't pretend uh, that any of this is easy in your life, in my life. Um, Some of you have like carried in like really hard things. It's been so long and it's been so dark and you just wonder about it and it just aches and hurts. this is, it's not an easy passage and it's not an easy reality in our lives. Um, but my friends, these stretches will not last forever, I guess is the good news. Um, I don't pretend that this is easy, but the suspense won't last forever. Things will eventually become clear. You will see the kingdom of God. And, and you will see Jesus break into a wide smile. That's what he does in this story. Of course, the kingdom is for you, my sister. Your request is granted. Your daughter is healed. And in the very next story, by the way, in the very next story at the end of chapter 15 of Matthew, you end up seeing Jesus feed 4,000 non-Jewish people, as Mark makes clear. You see Jesus feed 4,000 thousand dogs. (laughs) It's not, you're not getting table scraps, guys. You're going to be filled up to the brim. My countrymen may think your dogs, I call you children. Come eat at my table. That's, if you've ever wondered why Jesus feeds two crowds, That's why it's Jews and non-Jews. The second time Jesus feeds a crowd, he feeds a crowd because he's trying to starve racism. That's the reason he does it. He feeds 4,000 non-Jewish people in non-Jewish territory, and and it's like he's saying, lost sheep of Israel, take note. All who are hungry can come to my table. The heart of God, the table of God, is open to all who hunger after it. Come be filled, even you Canaanites.
especially you Canaanites, especially the people that we don't think deserve it, especially. In my kingdom, Jesus says, there are no dogs. There are only children invited to a great feast. And so this morning, if you're continuing to follow Jesus and it feels like it's leading nowhere or it feels like it's doing nothing, that is great faith. Jesus commends you. Be encouraged. If that's where you are right now, like wondering how to understand your life, wondering why God is silent. He hasn't always been silent. I've had moments where I feel like, but like he just feels silent. And I'm ache, perhaps you're even aching to believe God is there. Um, may you be filled with great faith. God is smiling, even if it's hidden right now. May he grant you faith that continues to pursue and to chase and to call even when things seem futile or meaningless or hopeless. May God grant you faith to believe that he's smiling even when you can't see it yet. Keep clinging to Jesus, brothers and sisters. You will see the smile of God.